0: Oh, darling, you're not dumb. You're new. This is a quote from best-selling author Shauna Nequist. She is an author of four books and now a new book coming out in April. I guess I haven't learned that yet. I am starstruck about this episode. I have read several of Shauna's books. They are life changers. You may have heard of present over perfect. One of her best-selling it was a total life changer for me. One of the best books I've ever read, but she is the guest on today's podcast episode. I'm super pumped. Here we go. Shauna, her husband, and two sons are longtime Midwesterners and now living in the heart of Manhattan, which is so cool. Shauna, I'm thrilled to welcome you to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Of course. Longtime Midwesterners. I know Chicago was a long time you were there and now. Manhattan. I mean, I'm sure that was just a crash course in life lessons, to say the least. How did this phrase, I guess I haven't learned that yet, become so important and become this mantra and now a book?
1: It had been a long time since we had moved. Our younger son had never moved. And uh, we had been largely in the Midwest and around our family forever. And we had largely lived in the suburbs or in small towns. And so all of a sudden, we're in the middle of Manhattan. We're in a tiny little apartment. We have to figure out new schools and the subway and how to do our laundry and how to get our groceries. And our kids were coming home from school, increasingly like little edges of frustration because things were different. Of course they were. One of them was used to doing French and in this school, they only do Spanish. And one of them had been learning guitar and the others in his new school, they only do piano. And The rhythms are different and everything's different. They had this increasing sense of like, am I doing it wrong? Am I missing something? Everybody knows something that I don't know. They were asking like basic questions, right? Like, how do I do this? Why is this hard? But there was a question under that, which is like, am I falling behind? Am I dumb? Am I making mistakes? And I realized, oh, wait a minute is a whole different deal. And so I wanted to reframe that sense of confusion for them. And so I took a piece of paper and I wrote with a Sharpie and I taped it up with like blue painter's tape. And it said, I guess I haven't learned that yet. And I said, you guys, this is not just for you. This is for all four of us. Our goal in this season is to say this at least once a day, is to let ourselves off the hook for not knowing things yet. You don't have to know it before you know it. You get to be a learner. You don't have to be an expert in every single thing you start. It very much started as a way to." have good conversations with our kids. And then pretty quickly, I realized this phrase is as much for me as it is for them about moving, but also about life, about faith, planning, about all the things I thought my life would be. It's been tremendously freeing to take off that expert hat and say in all these different areas, I guess I haven't learned that yet. I'm still a learner. I'm still curious. I'm still paying attention to what life has to teach me.
0: I want to highlight all of that. <laughs> I'm always like listening out for little highlights for sound bites, but I'm like, we're just going to have to do the whole episode. <laughs> that was beautiful. This is the Truth for Your 20s podcast, as you know, and this is so real and so applicable because they are going to college for the first time, or maybe just graduated college and in, in a new city, or have a new job, or a new relationship, or, or newlyweds. All of those huge life stages in your 20s. I feel like amen and yes to everything you just said. You're not dumb. You're not behind. You just haven't learned that.
1: Yet, And I remember that in my 20s. I remember feeling like I should be further along. Like I should know more. I should have more figured out. Once you get to be 45, you realize, no, 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 no. You don't ever feel that. That sense of certainty or having everything nailed down, you're certainly not going to have it in your 20s. You're not going to have it in your 30s or 40s either. And that's okay
0: if we have it all figured out, then we're done here. Mm -hmm. I'm experiencing that. We have kids in middle school we're starting to do sports and stuff like that. And I'm like, I feel like we're behind. Every kid they're on a team with has been running or doing volleyball or whatever since they were a toddler, apparently, because it seems like everyone is just so far ahead. Maybe they have, but we just haven't learned that yet. We just haven't done all of those things and that's
1: okay. And you were doing other things that were important to you and to your family during that season. We get to do it all different ways and there's so much freedom in that.
0: My husband, thankfully, reminds me of that. He's like, yeah, but we prioritize. A, B, and C. And it's okay that we didn't do that. And our kids have grown because of this. And I'm like, you're right. Absolutely. So this mindset of learning, we're not dumb. We're not behind just because we don't understand the subway. It's just because we haven't lived in Manhattan before. Just because you don't know piano it's just because it wasn't taught to you in school. How is that? mindset. It's obviously a book worth, but how has that mindset shifted your family?
1: We've become really, I think, comfortable with asking for help and advice and wisdom from other people. One of the first people I met here in New York, actually, was a guy who was doing my hair and his name was Colt and he was so lovely and kind. And I was just asking him about New York. He had been here a couple years before I had. And he said, here's a mistake I made. When I first got here, I so badly didn't want to look like a tourist that I didn't ever ask for help. But that meant I didn't take the subway for like six months. It meant I didn't hail a cab. There all these things I kind of missed out on because I was so concerned about looking like I needed help. And I really listened to that. And I took that very seriously. I asked for help constantly, everywhere I go. And people love to be asked for help, right? Nobody minds giving directions or saying, you know, am I on the right train platform or how do I get this done? People love to have their area of expertise or knowledge tapped into. And so I have become just like a shameless asker. Oh, hey, I don't know how to do this. Could you help me with it? Hey, I don't know exactly where I am right now. Could you help me? And I've made a lot of really good friendships that way. And I think that posture of curiosity and humility really helps you build bridges as opposed to keeping yourself Isolated, like, oh, I'll figure it out on my own, or don't worry, I, I won't look like someone who needs help. I've kind of given up on that and I've said, instead, I don't mind asking shamelessly because I like what it brings about in my life.
0: I lived in New York for a hot minute when I first graduated college, and it is confusing the uptown train and the downtown train and the red line and the green line and whatever. And you're like, Whoa. I mean, obviously, you start to figure that out, but I love that you said people love to tap into their area of expertise. Once I figured it out and I saw someone, a tourist or maybe just someone new looking around, I would like volunteer to help them because I finally figured it out and I was so happy to share with them. This is the green line. If you're going to this stop, you're in the
1: right place. It's absolutely true. And I feel like I've taken that with me literally. I've been traveling the last couple of weeks. And when I get to a new city, I think I used to be a little more like, okay, it's it's my job to figure this out. I'm like, hi, I don't live here. Could you help me find this? And people are like, sure, I would love to help you with that. It's a really freeing way to live to not as assume that you should already know everything. It's okay to ask for help and it's spread into a lot of other more serious areas of my life. When there are points of pain or anxiety, there's a challenge that I don't want to handle alone. I'm getting really good at raising the alarm with my friends and saying like, "Oh, I need a little support right now. I need a little help." The curiosity has turned into humility. I don't have to do this on my own and I can ask for help if I need it.
0: We moved from small town Georgia to Chattanooga, Tennessee. And not as drastic as what you experienced, but I feel silly for saying culture shock, but there was a little bit of culture shock. Oh,
1: every move has a culture shock in it. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. But it's so funny. Just yesterday, I had a friend reach out and say, Hey, we're moving to Chattanooga. Can you suggest some things to do? And I'm like, can
1: I ever? Because now I've lived here and now I know. Absolutely. And you want to help them because you know how it feels to need help. Right. I feel like that has been one of the most important things. One thing I love about New York is most people, not every everybody. I mean, there are some people who like grew up in the city, but a lot of people moved here from somewhere else. And what that means is they know what it's like to be new. And so they'll bend over backwards for someone else who's new. And I feel like that's a chain that keeps, you know, there's so many links on that chain. And I love watching my kids do that. I love watching them say like, oh no, I know how to do this. I can help you out to sort of have that little bit of expertise that they get to offer to someone else.
0: Oh, I love that. How old are your boys now?
1: They're 10 and 15.
0: Oh my gosh. What a great fun age for them to be exploring New York City and all the fun stuff. I cannot tell you how many young women have reached out to me over the years and especially recently saying, I want to speak on stages. I want to have a podcast. I want to write a book and girlfriend, I want to help you. There is room for you at the table. I want to help you not waste time learning about an email list and how to get published and the tech that you need for a podcast. There's so much that I have learned along the way that I want to help you go further and faster. So I'm starting a mastermind group that opens April 10th. All the information you will need is right under here in the show notes. Make sure you get in before it's too late. There's a limited seating, but I'm so excited about this opportunity. Doors close April 10th. Make sure you check out the information. You can unwind on a Friday night without the alcohol. I am so excited to partner with Curious Elixirs. These are booze-free cocktails shipped to you already mixed and ready to go in these super cute bottles. Side note, the pomegranate is delicious. And Truth For Your 20s listeners get to save $10 off a purchase of $50 or more with promo code Katie22. But if you're driving or on the treadmill and can't write that down right now, no worries. Enjoy the rest of this episode and then check the links after you're done. You can simply scroll up on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening and there'll be a handy little link right there for you to check out Curious Elixirs. Shaken, not slurred. This is obviously a crash course in life lessons with moving, creating this new rhythm. But how have you practical ways of like giving yourself grace and taking care of yourself as you're
1: learning, realizing that you don't have it all figured out? Two years ago, three years ago, I should remember this, my word for the year, I, I tend not to be great at resolutions. Like I, I make them and I make too many and then I immediately break them. Yeah. It brings me a lot of joy to break them. So that's not, it's not a good zone for me. But I sometimes focus on a word for the year. Either two years ago or three years ago, my word for the year was self-compassion because I realized that I was treating myself and talking to myself in ways that I would never talk to another living human. I would never say those things to someone else that I was saying to myself about my body or the ways I've failed or the things I've gotten wrong. So I said, I need to get a handle on this, especially for my kids. I would never speak to them the way I speak to myself, but you know that rubs off. You know if a person isn't caring for themselves well, it's impossible for them to authentically offer that care to someone else. And so I decided, I really want to get a handle on this. And so you know, I read a lot about it. I have an amazing therapist. I talked a lot with him about it. A lot of it for me came down to the way I speak to myself. And learning how to speak to myself in more loving ways. I don't get it right all the time, but choosing to be careful with my language and the way I speak to myself has changed things for me.
0: When I read Present Over Perfect, I think it was in this book that you talked about in your 20s, you would just go, go, go and flop yourself face first on the bed, fully clothed with makeup on, you know, drooling on the pillow Mm -hmm. and repeat the same thing and repeat the same thing. And somewhere along the way, you discovered pajamas and face cream (laughs) and taking care of yourself. I think that's beautiful. And people don't talk about that. You know, in your 20s, you think you're invincible and you can just go, go, go until you burn out. But you will
1: burn out. The older you get, the more you realize that you want essentially quality over quantity. You want a richer life, not more stuff crammed into your life. And I think with each passing year, I feel that more acutely. I want to love and enjoy the moments of my life, not just like blitz through them onto the next thing. Self-care and soul care is a big part of that. It's living slowly and intentionally enough to feel the life you've created, to taste it, to really get to enjoy it as opposed to like missing it because you're onto the next thing.
0: I feel like I'm reading one of your books right now. That's so true. And to me, you're very inspirational in that area specifically. As you mentioned, you know, having people at your dinner table and enjoying the foods that you eat. I encourage listeners to just go check out, um, especially this new book, but anything that she's written, because I feel like you have a real gift with words. First of all, thank you breaking of bread, this dinner table, even if it's box pizza, this moment together with your friends, like there's just so much beauty in that that we don't talk about as a culture because you're right. It's grab the spike, get to soccer practice, go, 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 go. And of course there are seasons and there are days when that happens, but when that is the every day, then it's a problem.
1: Thank you for saying that. And the reason I write about it so much is because it's not natural to me. I'm naturally a like, go, 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 the more, the better, grab a slice of pizza on the way kind of person. And part of the reason I write so much about slowing down, about being intentional, about choosing to see beauty and flavor and scent and dimension is because my life is so much better when I do that. So it's not about like, oh, I've nailed it and this is how I live all the time. It's completely not. It's because I always tend toward too fast, too much, too loud, too late, Writing about it is sort of my way of wrangling myself back into a better way of living and a better pace of living.
0: Are you an Enneagram 3?
1: I'm an Enneagram 7.
0: 7, party girl. <laughs> uh-huh, definitely. In case you don't know, 7s are YOLO, buy the plane tickets, ask questions later, but of course there's good and bad to every Enneagram number. I guess you would probably live on the go a lot of times in that Enneagram default as well.
1: Well, yes, and 3s and 7s have real similar energy. They run at a similar pace that comes out of a different motivation. They're two among the types that are the most often mistaken for one another.
0: That makes sense. I'm a three, so that's why we're best friends. (laughs) Got it. You mentioned that you write about the greatest gifts you have been given in recent years are curiosity and compassion.
1: Talk to me about that. You know, I think that's the heart of, I guess I haven't learned that yet, idea. Curiosity means everyone can teach me something and everything can teach me something. Every loss, every challenge, every joy, every person I happen to run into on the street, everything can teach me something. And the compassion, when you start to regard yourself as a learner, when you start to practice curiosity, you realize that everyone is carrying something. And a lot of them are things we don't see. And it gives you an extra sense of compassion. When you really start listening to people, what they've lost, what they've been through, what they've overcome, it's so much easier to be empathetic and compassionate because you see all the things you might not see on the surface. So I think those two work together. Compassion and curiosity work almost like a loop. The more curious you are, the more compassionate you become, which inspires you to be more curious. I think it's a really beautiful circle, beautiful way to live.
0: You mentioned that one of your goals is just being easily delighted, which I totally love. I don't know if you follow Edie Wadsworth, but I get her emails and she says something that has totally stuck with me. And I feel like this is similar. She says, everywhere I go, I see miracles. Mm -hmm. seems to be your mindset as well, just because It's what we look for. There could be everywhere you go, you see disasters Yep, totally. (laughs) because you see what you look for. As someone who writes about pursuing being delighted, pursuing the good, why is that important to you and how have you found that to be like a practice?
1: Sometimes in our lives, we can start to get really like, this isn't good enough. This isn't good enough. I only see what's not enough. You only see the lack. You only see the scarcity. Just like you said, whatever you're looking for, you'll find. And one of my goals, when I say easily delightable, I don't want it to have to be like a Michelin starred restaurant and the bestseller list and also I've lost 20 pounds and also I am wake up brilliant. And unless all of those things line up, I can't be happy. I want to be delighted by a great cup of tea, a great book, a funny moment with my kids. When you live that way, life is really joyous. If everything has to line up perfectly in order for you to be happy, you're going to wait forever. You're going to make yourself miserable and the people around you miserable. But if you can find joy walking down the street, having a short conversation with a neighbor, reading a great page from a book, listen to a great song, the world suddenly becomes populated with reasons to be delighted. So I think just exactly what you said, you find whatever you look for. And so I want to always be looking for joy and beauty and hope and connection.
0: How long have you guys been in New York? Almost three and a half years. Still new, but still you probably have the subway figured out and all that kind of stuff.
1: We're in that like beautiful golden zone where we still like love it. You know, sometimes people who've lived in some place for a really long time, they're kind of over it. Yeah. We're like categorically not over it. We're still just super into it, but it's also not confusing every single day. Yeah. I can mostly figure out the subway.
0: (laughs) We've been in Tanuga about four years, so a little bit longer than you. And one of the things I prayed, is I don't ever want to take the views for granted. We came from the flatlands of South Georgia where there was no change in the landscape. And now it's like rolling hills everywhere and mountains in the background. And I don't want to ever take that for granted. As you just talked about, you know, being delighted. As you walk through the streets of New York City, how do you see delight, head in the clouds sometimes, like deep seeing delight in the little things in the city?
1: Two ideas about that. There's a lot to be careful about with social media. I totally get that. I have very strong feelings about some of the negative sides of social media. But one thing I love about it, particularly about Instagram is it keeps you on the lookout for beauty. Oh yeah, I take pictures constantly. Some of it is because I'm inspired by seeing other people's pictures on Instagram. I want to see a picture of those rolling hills, or I want to see what you have for breakfast, or I want to see what cute thing your kids are doing. So sometimes I think having a camera on your phone makes you walk through the city streets or the hills or whatever, like a photographer, mm-hmm. like someone who's looking for beauty. I'm like hundred percent, not a photographer. I wish I was, but we all have phones in our pockets and cameras on our phones and so it's inspiring. Sometimes I'll go for a walk and I'll say like I just want to see one thing that I take a really beautiful picture of. And then the other thing is I try every night to write down three glimpses of beauty or or just sense moments in my life. I try to write down a couple of things I'm grateful for. I just call them glimpses. I try to write down three glimpses. And it can be I was standing at the stove and I was cooking the salmon curry and Henry was standing right next to me talking my ear off about the Oscar nominations. What sweet moment with my kid or I'll write about and then I came around the corner and the light was hitting the Whitney Museum in just this amazing way and it kind of lit up the railings, the sky against it was so bright blue. Just try to like take snapshots in my mind and what I find is the more I write those things down or the more I take actual photos, the more you see, the more you notice. Walking through life as a noticer makes you a noticer and it gives you a sense like your eye is drawn to beauty and excitement and energy and joy and so taking those pictures or writing down those glimpses sort of trains you to see them everywhere.
0: Oh, a hundred percent. And I think, you know, we are what we practice, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure you could walk the city streets right now. It's too crowded. It's too loud. It's too whatever. Or this is the coolest city ever. Look at this beautiful person selling watches. Look at this pretty beautiful skyline. It just depends on what you're looking for.
1: It's absolutely true.
0: I want to go to New York right now.
1: <laughs> it's beautiful right now. Today definitely feels like springtime. It's lovely.
0: Oh, good. We took the kids and visited in 2019, not realizing how perfect that timing was. And unfortunately, it was like crazy, crazy hot. It was over the summer. And that concrete jungle, it just kind of stays warm. It's so
1: hot in the summer. I mean, I've always lived in places that have hot summers. There's nothing like this.
0: Yes, I did not expect that. We just had the best fun. Our daughter at the time was super into Greatest Showman and wanted to be a trapeze artist, as one does. (laughs) Amazing. And there's a trapeze school in New York City.
1: There sure is.
0: Because, of course, there is. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Did she do it? Of course, she did. We have this video of her like connecting. And, of course, I put it to rewrite the stars of the greatest showman soundtrack. Amazing. I love the city. And I love that you intentionally see the beauty. We could do that everywhere. Of course. That's amazing. I love it. Talk to me about 2020 changing everyone's lives, obviously, in one way or the other. A lot of loss. You were in the middle of the city during all that. How was that? That changed and how can we like regroup with all of this mindset?
1: There were and have been and continue to be so many losses yeah. throughout this pandemic season. Obviously the most extreme being the loss of life. So many of us have lost loved ones and are still grieving. You know, our families will never be the same because of this. There's also so many other losses, the loss of connection of our kids being in school and they're back to school now, but it was a long season for them to be home. There are so many things to grieve right at the same time. This was an opportunity for change for all of us. It was an opportunity and is an opportunity for us to reset our lives and our lifestyles and our schedules so that they track more closely with our values. Any big kind of life event offers you that opportunity. Yeah. While everything's changing, let's assess what have we always wanted that is not a part of our life right now. What has never worked well, but we just did it because we kind of thought we had to. And the the number one thing I hear from people is the scheduling and overscheduling. And Kind of that lockdown season showed people I I don't want to be this busy anymore. I don't want my kids to be this busy anymore. I don't want to work these hours anymore. I don't want to do this crazy commute anymore. We don't get to decide like, oh, I guess I'm just not going to work anymore. Uh-huh. But we get to decide how we're going to do that. We get to decide some of us, depending on circumstances, where do we want to live? What kind of work do we want to do? What kind of schedules do we want to keep? And again, I know different people have different freedoms and lack of freedoms based on different commitments, but I do think it's a meaningful exercise to say, Let's not just assume we're going to go back to how things were. Let's take a minute and say, where are opportunities to make meaningful change that let us live more closely to our most deeply held values. And for a lot of us, I think it's about time and busyness.
0: And I think that that kind of correlates to moving. I wonder if you could maybe like give advice to new seasons of life, as you just mentioned with COVID and restarting and restructuring or whatever, giving advice to someone who might be facing a big move.
1: The biggest thing I would say is don't try to live in a new place the old way. Mm -hmm. That was one of our values when we moved. We said to ourselves over and over, what's the New York way to do this? If we expected it to be like the suburb of Chicago we had lived in, before. We'd be frustrated all the time because it's like categorically not the same place, not the same way of living, not the same base of relationships. So let's not try to do it that way. Let's do it the New York way. What does it mean to live in a teeny tiny little apartment as opposed to a house in the suburbs? It's really different. But once you let go of a lot of your stuff, it's a lot easier to let the change change you. Live in the city you're in, not the city you used to live in. Live in the house that you live in now. Live in the neighborhood you live in now. Go to the restaurants that are available to you now. We struggle through moves when we want it to be like it was. A friend of mine actually just said this to me yesterday, and it was about a totally different topic, but I think it applies here. What should be or what should have been are useless. What is and what could be. That's where life is.
0: You're speaking to my soul. (laughs) I I do online mentoring and I I just talk with a girl, unrelated as well, but it totally makes sense uh, through a breakup. What could have, should have been. It's not anymore, but what is and how we can move forward. Talk to me about the new book.
1: I'm so excited about it. To be honest, it was the toughest one to write. And I'm really proud of it. And it really changed me along the way. I never approach writing as an expert, as a leader, as a pastor, approach it as a learner and as a friend. I pick a topic that I need to learn and then I I hope that when it's finished, the book feels like a hand holding out, let's walk this road together. I'm not further along than you. I'm just willing to start the conversation. I hope that the book feels like an invitation to have some really open conversations about change, about loss, about midlife, about starting over. It would be really meaningful to me if people said, I saw myself in those words and pages.
0: Well, I know I've felt that with every other book I have read of yours. I think that's very true. Let's link arms and let's figure it together. And I think that a lot of people are feeling the same things, but they just don't know how to put the words to it. And that's a gift that you have. And I'm not alone in this. It's so freeing and so powerful. Thank you for doing what you do. <laughs> Thank you. Shauna, I love this interview and I love what you are doing. I cannot wait to share this book with my eyeballs. First all, I can't wait to read it and then share it with everyone else. How can people follow you and get to know more about what you're doing?
1: So you can follow me on Instagram. That's the place I am most often. And the book is sold at big stores, little stores, local stores, everywhere. And it'll be out April 12th. And I'm really excited about it and, and proud of it and looking forward to sharing it.
0: It's called I Guess I Haven't Learned That Yet. And we'll make sure that we link your Instagram and where people can pre-order and all of that good stuff in the show notes.
1: Great. Thank you so much.
0: Of course. Thank you for being here. I cannot wait to look at the world and just see all of the goodness everywhere with this interview in mind. Thank you so much for giving us that.
1: Thank you. This is my pleasure.